Amen. Be seated, please, and take your Bibles to your favorite book, Ezekiel. All joking aside, it it actually is one of my favorite books. The first 10 chapters or so, 10 of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. Um, Continuing our little mini-series here in preparation for officer nominations, as David prayed about, and uh, in Exodus last week, Ezekiel this week. Acts chapter 6 next week, and 1 Timothy 3 the week after. Ezekiel 34, this is the Word of God, and again, I say this often, but it is important that you have it fixed in your mind that God is so infinitely wise, and because of how He ordained all of creation to take place the way that He has planned it out from before the foundation of the world, when He wrote this a long time ago, He wrote it with the people who read it at first in mind. And he wrote it with you in mind and everyone in between and everyone after so that we can comfortably say this is God's word for you today. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you've ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey And my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. I will require my sheep at their hand to put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. 
And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down. In good grazing land and on rich pasture, they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the straight, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak and the fat, and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture, and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad, I will rescue my flock and they shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he shall feed them, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them in the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down the showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield its increase, and they shall be secure in their land. And they shall know that I am the Lord. When I break the bars of their yoke, deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them, they shall no more be a prey to the nations. Nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. Father, you have spoken in the reading of your word. We ask that you would speak in its preaching and that you would give us understanding and faith for Christ's sake. Amen. 
Sometimes you get to see them, I guess, when you buy a new thing, maybe buy a new piece of clothing, buy a new uh, piece of uh, electronic equipment or an appliance for the kitchen, but a lot of times they'll have this tiny little sticker inside them, right? Sometimes like on a jacket, you have a sticker on the inside uh, that'll say, inspected by number 37 or whatever, right? And as a kid, you, know, you look at that, you're like, why, why waste the time and energy to have somebody stick a sticker you know, on the inside of my jacket or you know, on the side of my pants when I buy them or you know, inside the... Uh, the dishwasher. And you get a little older and you realize what a helpful thing that is, that what that is is a mark of, of the quality control inspector, right? Somebody who's looking at the product, viewing it and saying, does it meet our standards or not? Is it good enough? And, you know, in theory, as a consumer, it should make us excited because it's like, oh, look, this company cares about their product enough that they're actually checking it to see if it's any good, you know, to make sure it's not a dud, but to make sure it measures up to their standards. I think sometimes we forget, at least in the church, that the Lord actually does the same thing with how he views his people, where he kind of, in essence, has quality control inspections, where he's kind of constantly looking in and viewing his people, viewing his church, viewing um, what we do and how we do. Chapter 34 of Ezekiel is one of those times, perhaps not the way that we would expect it to to be. It's not just a sticker that makes us feel good that somebody's checked this out. Uh, This is the Lord looking in on Israel in a real time and in a real space and evaluating how are they doing at being the people of God? How are they doing at taking care of the people of God? In this series so far, we've kind of intellectually, we're working through a thought process. There's an agenda Right? We started with this kind of overarching foundation that the Lord loves his people. He loved us before he created the world. He loved us before creation itself. And as a result, every action that he takes inside creation is one that is motivated for his own glory, but one that is motivated out of love for us. And that totally changes how we think about ourselves and think about uh, his creation and think about our experiences when everything is out of God's love for us. Likewise, when he uh, creates church leadership, and we looked at kind of part of the, the beginning of that in Exodus, it certainly develops throughout the scriptures and throughout time, but when you think about church leadership... It's important that you think about the leadership as as being God's gift to his people because he loves us. That's what we looked at last week is that church leadership, church government is a proof of God's love. He cares for us. He wants us to have happy, healthy, and holy lives. That holy is the big deal there. It's the key that unlocks the others. The passage today is really an application of that where if church leadership is is given to the church out of God's love and it's given to us for our good, what is it supposed to look like? And in fact, actually, not only what is it supposed to look like, but what happens when people don't measure up, when it actually doesn't work the way it's supposed to? Chapter 34 of Ezekiel, where we are in real time and real space, the leadership that God has given to Israel has gone badly. They're duds. 
They're rotten to the core. Ezekiel's ministering roughly, we don't know the exact dates, but roughly the um, end of the 7th century BC into the 6th century. So 500s, 590s to 580s is a big deal here. Um, But that point in Israel's history, the people of Israel are corrupt, massively corrupt. And it's not a bottom-up type of corruption, it's a top-down type of corruption, the leadership are the, the ultimate fulfillment of all sorts of abusive, um, um, evil leaders that you could possibly imagine. In fact, actually, as parts of the book go, if you were to read uh, the entirety of Ezekiel, there's a lot of these kind of marvelous and mystical visions that the Lord gives Ezekiel where he gets to see the corruption of um, the, the priest, the corruption of the leaders of Israel. And one of those is just this really awful, gruesome portrait of even in the temple where they're supposed to be offering sacrifices to Yahweh, to the triune God, they're offering sacrifices to pagan gods. And the explanation is, well, our God isn't really doing things the way we want him to. So we're, we're, we're kind of diversifying, so to speak. You're like, oh. The way that it reads in Ezekiel is this kind of gruesome, it's kind of almost makes you want to kind of queasy, vomit-inducing sort of portrait of just, oh. In fact, actually, it's one of the reasons why Ezekiel as a book isn't taught that frequently. It has some of the most just emotionally challenging language in the entirety of the Bible. Some of the chapters are the, the chapters that preachers are the most scared of ever having to preach um, because of how just kind of in our face it is laying out either the corruption of the people of Israel or the corruption of their leaders, the violence and injustice that's being practiced. And if you're really going to kind of go, if ever there was a time in Israel's history where quality control was needed, this is it. I mean, that's why this chapter is so significant. If you're looking at kind of leadership gone wrong, this is the time and space in history in which it's happening. It, they're doing such a bad job as leaders, the Lord's getting ready to wipe Israel off the map because of it. I mean, that's, that's just before this happens. Uh, Ezekiel is one of those last prophets before they're just blown off the map in 586. Okay, okay, well, that's a big deal. Okay, the Lord's going to kind of do quality control here. He's going to lay out for them uh, what the matter is. Well, the first part, and this kind of chapter breaks into multiple sections quite easily, but the first section, the Lord goes through and basically lays out for them what he hates about what they're doing. And I use that word specifically. It's going through what the Lord hates. You think, well, God can't hate. No, he does hate. He hates sin perfectly. He hates sin perfectly all of the time. And what we have laid out and the first section here, verses 1 through 10, is what the Lord hates about leadership gone wrong. Well, let's look at these just briefly. What's happening in his church that is so upsetting him? Verses 2 and 3. The leaders are so corrupt, they're feeding themselves at the expense of the sheep feeding themselves at the expense of the sheep. This is the reoccurring theme and the kind of overarching dominant idea. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, the leaders themselves, thus says the Lord God. Ah, that's exasperation, disgust. Shepherds of Israel, you who have been feeding yourselves. Now, 
Is it a good thing for a shepherd to feed himself or herself? I mean, it does really no good if the shepherd starves to death whether out, you know, on the hills. And then the sheep have no one to take care of them. The issue is not that the shepherds are feeding themselves. It's what they're feeding themselves. Rather than having been prepared, rather than having taken care of themselves correctly, what's happening? Verse 3, you eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat sheep, but you do not feed the sheep. So uh, the shepherds are taking care of themselves, and the way that they're taking care of themselves is harvesting the sheep themselves. Consuming the sheep, consuming their best and their brightest, consuming their strongest and their most excellent, so that only the weak and the puny are left behind. The issue is not that the shepherds are simply feeding themselves, it's that they're feeding themselves at the expense of God's people. Thankfully, I've been in the church for quite a while now. I've worked at a number of different churches. One of the churches I worked at, I lived right next to one of the kind of larger churches in the state. It was a church that was um, largely comprised of membership uh, of fairly low-income folks. Um, Large church, fairly low-income folks, and their pastor made millions at the expense of his people. You always heard kind of, you know, urban legends coming out of there, like when you joined the church, you had to turn over your tax records so they knew how much you had to give. I do know they regularly pressured people to say, look, if you want the Lord to bless you, or even this church to bless you, you have to give. Let me see your checkbooks in order to receive the blessing of God. You had a minister who made large amounts of money at the expense of his people, who didn't have a lot of it to begin with. In fact, actually, that minister, uh, at least at the time that I was there, did not allow people to take pictures in his home because he didn't want documented outside how he lived inside. He wanted his wealth to be secreted away so that his congregation didn't know exactly how much he had. And he was making 100 times more than his average congregant. It was disgusting. It's just vile, reprehensible. I don't really even feel comfortable calling the man a minister. He's a predator, preying upon the sheep. Now, we see that, and that's an easy example where we get to see kind of financially. But, friends, this happens all the time financially, emotionally. I don't. Emotionally, where leaders constantly scold their people, constantly criticize their people, constantly this this scathing critique so that in making them feel bad about themselves, the preacher can feel better about themselves. We see this all over today not just confined to the church, but where leaders all over are are making their followers miserable because they're miserable. Their own failings, their own greed, their own insecurities, their own brokenness seeping through. 
It's wonderful to think the Lord hates that. And the reason why he hates that is because what he's designed church leadership to be. It's designed so that the leaders feed the sheep. Notice it's not that we shouldn't feed ourselves, right? As a, as a pastor, that doesn't mean I'm supposed to, you know, literally physically starve because I don't have enough, you know, money to put food on the table. It also doesn't mean that I'm supposed to intellectually starve. I don't read anything or study anything. I just have to talk to you out of the ether, make stuff up on the fly. That's terrible. Don't want me spiritually starving, but want me equipped, the ruling elders equipped so that we can help shepherd the flock of God, feeding, strengthening, nourishing, edifying, building up. This is one of those great reasons as to why we're kind of making a big deal out of the officer nomination process is because the task of what the leadership has, all of the leadership as a whole, this is kind of A1 on our mission, you know, asterisk by the top, feed the sheep, feed the people of God. Now, whether that's from the pulpit in worship, whether that's from the lectern in prayer, whether that's from the lectern in Sunday school, whether that's on private phone calls, whether that's talking to each other in the hallway or at flocks or out in the little bit of concrete we have outside the doors where we stand around and freeze after church. It's feeding God's people so that we're nourished, so that we're built up, so that we're strong. This is one of the things that I like to kind of think about, and I love reading science things, but some of you know this, some of you don't, but people are kind of continually getting bigger. This is an easy thing for us to kind of document over human history where we're getting taller, and scientists can't entirely figure out why they try to put evolutionary theory and everything like that. And part of it is because, like, for the first time in human history, like, we eat well all the time. Like, even the people who don't eat well in our country eat better than, like, everybody else in human history. It's no surprise that we're churning out massive people left, right, and center. We eat well. We're actually healthier than any time prior. We're not starving to death constantly. As a result, people can grow. It's amazing. It's amazing what happens when you eat. Spiritually, it's the same thing. It's amazing what happens when you eat. And as with most things, do you realize it in the moment? I mean, realistically, you might feel full after a meal, but the vast majority of the benefit of eating well, you never realize it until later. I mean, I guess parents have those moments where they look at their kids and they're like, did you grow five inches last night? When did that happen? But by and large, most growth takes place over time. We don't know. We just have to eat well and trust that God will provide the growth. So very briefly, as recognizing most of you are not... uh, elders in the church, how can you help? How can you help the leadership of this church feed the sheep? And I would say, number one thing is learn your Bible. Learn it. Preaching to a congregation that knows their Bible is way easier and way more fun than preaching to a congregation that doesn't. Much more enjoyable. And I would even go so far as to say, not just learn it, but learn what it says, not what it means to you. Now, I would make that distinct. This is a very important distinction. We like to learn what it means to us. And in doing so, we don't actually learn what it says. We learn what we think it says. Not the actual words. Learn the words. 
so that over the life that God gives you, you can remember it and apply it to your lives. And then lastly, I would say cultivate a listening spirit. We all have those friends that even while you're talking to them, you're sitting there going, yeah, they're not paying attention at all. They're just not listening. And the general rule of thumb is if you don't have that friend, that means you are that friend, right? You're the one that everybody's thinking about right now. But when you're talking or when they're talking, yeah, they're not, they're not here. They're, they're, their mind is a million miles away. They're thinking about Tahiti or something, I don't know. When it comes to the Word of God, I think a lot of times it's a real struggle for some of us where it's like, yeah, my mind's gone. I'm, I'm elsewhere. Instead, cultivate a listening spirit that listens aggressively and, and tries to submit underneath the Word of God. All right, second thing the Lord hates, I'm going to have to pick up speed here just a touch. He hates tyrannical rule instead of merciful leadership. Verse 4, a tyrannical rule, this heavy-handed, mean-spirited, gross sort of leadership instead of mercy. The weak, look at these contrasts that he lays out here. The weak you've not strengthened. You've treated them with a heavy hand. You've been harsh to them. Instead of taking those that are weak and needy, instead of building them up, you've made them worse. The sick, you've not healed. The injured, you've not bound up. The strayed, you've not brought back. The lost, you've not sought. Instead, you've governed them with force and harshness. And you think about it, just again, not from necessarily a spiritual perspective, but from a, a kind of economic perspective, this is a rotten shepherd, isn't it? You give them sheep, let's say a hundred sheep, and the second that one of them gets sick, they're like, man, I hope they can walk it off. One of them breaks a leg, well, maybe the other three legs will be able to walk it off. One of them gets lost, well, I still have 99, 98, 97, 96, 89, 84, wow, this is not going well, is it? They treat their sheep with a harshness and a a heavy-handedness that demands health from them instead of building health in them. This is an amazing thing when we go to think about kind of how we interact with people. Do we demand that they be finished products right now? Or are we willing to work with them and raise them up, and encourage them, and strengthen them, and build them up. And weirdly enough, do you think about your spouse this way? Is this how you view marriage? Like, I get angry every time my spouse isn't perfect. Or to know, no, look, the Lord gave me a broken spouse. And my task is, in so much as I'm able, to strengthen them when they're weak, to heal them when they're sick. To bind up broken bones when they're injured. To bring them back when they stray. To help find them when they're lost. Is that how you view your friends? Think about just again, how how different the church would be if we viewed all of our friendships this way. Like, I'm I'm not expecting you to be perfect. In fact, actually, I'm expecting you to be miserable. I'm expecting you to be sick. I'm expecting you to be you know, disobedient. I'm expecting you to hurt my... It's actually, that's how we view parenting, isn't it? It's really interesting. 
right? When you have young kids, you expect them to be sick all the time, every winter. That's just what they are, right? They're little germ things. They carry germs everywhere. That's what they do. That's how God made them. We expect that they're going to disobey. And do we hate them for it? No. We love them because they're our children. And we understand part of what parenting is, is helping raise them up into healthier positions, better ways of thinking, binding up their brokenness, helping heal their sickness. This is the task of the church, is to care for one another in such a way. And and you see what happens with uh, really evil leaders is where they begin to have this kind of heavy-handed, iron-fisted leadership that does not account for the weakness and sickness of the sheep. Friends, the church should be the safest place to be broken, to be injured, and to be sick. It shouldn't be scary to be that here. It should be the safest place. In fact, actually, the safest place to be broken, injured, or sick should be with the leadership of the church because it's our specific task to take care Now, again, recognizing we live in a fallen world and leaders ourselves are sheep. We're broken too. We're going to fail. Certainly, that's been the case here in times past and will be in times future unless Jesus comes back today. So, I would ask that kind of application question. How do you help with this? How do you help a leadership that's seeking to not have this tyrannical spirit but to be merciful in our leadership? And I would say, number one, communicate with us. Many of you have heard me say our leadership here fails more often from a lack of information than anything else. Certainly from a lack of desire. A lack of information. There are times we've failed terribly in leadership because we just didn't know. We didn't know. Didn't know somebody had a broken bone. Didn't know somebody was sick. Didn't know that somebody was beaten down and needed to be lifted up. We just didn't know. So, first and foremost, communicate with us. If you're when that sheep where you're looking at your life saying, I'm, I'm wounded, I'm wounded, Tell us, please, so we can care for you. We may not know that. We might not have realized it. But then in conjunction with that, when the Lord places you in situations with those around you are wounded, use the gifts that God has given you to help heal them. You realize this is not just the leadership's task. In fact, actually, this works so much better when the entire church is committed to, in so much as we're able, strengthening each other, building each other up, and encouraging each other. Use your gifts to help God's people. Five and six move to the next, and here, interestingly, what happens is God's people are scattered to the unknown instead of being collected and being known. What happens in verses five and six, so they were scattered because there's no shepherd, right? The shepherd's job is to keep them together, to keep them organized, to know who they are, to know uh, that they're accounted for, to know how many, where everyone is. Instead, because there was no shepherd, they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered and wandered all over the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. These rotten leaders, again, taking advantage of the sheep, didn't care who the sheep were. It wasn't personal. It, it wasn't it sort of any sort of intimate connection. It wasn't a knowledge of it because you don't care if they're gone. 
Right? Many of you have pets. If your pet somehow manages to make it out of the house, runs off, the first 15 minutes of it, you probably hate that pet and you're okay with them running off. But after maybe the rage passes away, you might be like, man, I really miss Ralphie. I wish he'd come back. That's my dog. I miss my dog. I miss my cat. I miss my hamster that ran away, whatever it is. Right, you see, the contrast here is that when, it's, when a, a sheep is an unknown thing, it's not personal, there's no intimate connection, there's intimate relationship, it doesn't matter when they go. Right, I personally do not have the eye that is good enough to distinguish one actual sheep from another actual sheep, one lamb from another. I can't tell the difference. They're all fungible. They're all the same thing, right? They all look the same to me. It doesn't matter if you take eight of them and give me eight different ones, I would never notice I would really notice that with y'all, though, because I know who you are. I spent years cultivating friendships, and we've laughed together, and we've cried together, and we've prayed together, and we've sung together, and we've been together. Because we've been together so much, you matter to me way more than the people out there matter to me. Right? They're just nameless, faceless things. You're, you're my people. We belong to each other. There's an intimacy to it. A connection. So much of what leadership is, is I think really gathering the people of God together and, and, and cultivating a situation and a circumstance where we get to be friends together. I find that intriguing. That's so much of the, the point of the book of Proverbs. How to be a good friend. So again, very quickly, application, what do we do with that? How, how do you apply that here? Again, recognizing most aren't pastors or even elders in the church. Well, mission number one is get connected with the body here. Friends, it's really hard to be gathered in the people of God, to be known and to be intimately connected if you're never here. I don't say that because I hate you. I don't say that to hurt your feelings. I don't even know which of you have your feelings hurt right now because I don't know your hearts. I know from my side of things, it's really hard to know you kind of emotionally and with closeness of friendship if I only see you an hour a day and I shake your hand on the way out and you all know, I mean, I make fun of myself. And I don't remember anything after I preach. My mind, it takes me like two hours for my brain to catch back up after preaching. If the only interaction we have is that while my brain is broken, friends, it's really hard. Get connected. Get plugged in. Communicate with your shepherding elder. Talk with him regularly. You do realize it's okay when you're lonely to call your shepherding elder. I hope you hear that from me. If you're lonely, you're like, man, I just don't know what to do. I'm lonely. Call your shepherding elder. That's what they're there for. Talk to them. Make friends with them. Spend time with them. It's okay. Cultivate the types of friendships here where you get past the surface. Again, as a child of the South, born and bred, raised here, I excel in that wonderful Southern art of small talk used as a defense for actual intimacy. I know that magnificent art of talking about the weather and talking about politics so that you never actually know who I am. And friends, that's terrible in the church. 
Get to know each other. Talk about your fears. Talk about what makes you excited, what makes you sad. Get to be friends together. So we can be the flock together. The fourth thing that we see these shepherds, these bad shepherds here in Ezekiel, they constantly expose the sheep to predators instead of protecting them. Verse 8, as I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey. My sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. <laughs> what a horrible thing. To have those that we're tasked to care for become the victims. We read that in John earlier in the worship service, didn't we? It's the difference between the Son of God and the hired hand. The hired hand sees the wolf coming and is like, nope, I'm out. Well, you're not paying me enough to fight wolves. I'm not doing that mess. They're gone. But the son, the one who owns the sheep, well, no, fight to the death. And in Jesus' case, it was literally to the death. Protecting his people. Caring for them. Watching out for them. Watching over them. I would say out of all of the aspects of, of kind of leadership we've been talking about, and I've been rather sneaky, this is our model of shepherding that we've been practicing here for years. It's drawn directly from Tim Whitmer's book. Know, feed, lead, and protect the sheep. Knowing the sheep is easy to talk about. Feeding the sheep is easy to talk about. Leading the sheep is easy to talk about. Protecting the sheep is actually one of those that we don't really like talking about as Americans. And a large part of that is because, honestly, this is the one where, where the, the authority issue becomes the most clear. Right? I can feed you and we can be buddies and that's fine. But for some sort of protection to take place, there really has to be an authority structure. And recognizing that our culture tends to hate authority structures of any kind, much less ones where we're not on top, um, where we're not the boss, this is the hard one. You know, where it, it's sometimes difficult for us to think about being protected by the church. So you have to ask the question, how, how can you help then, help assist the, the protecting process of the leadership? One, pick good leaders, recurring theme here. But two, listen to wise counsel. Listen to wise counsel. I, I can't tell you how many times I get to watch this happen in my life where somebody comes to me with problem A, and I say, okay, I understand that. Listen carefully, ask all the diagnostic questions. Problem A is this. Okay, fair enough. This is the solution, this right here. And they're like, awesome, I'm going to go do that. Funny enough, it, it doesn't tend to work out well. I would tell, I have so many illustrations of it, I could tell it would be amusing, but then somebody would get their feelings hurt because I'd be talking about you, so I figured the best illustration of this perhaps is from my own childhood when I failed. Uh, I started driving and uh, immediately began to realize that I was the greatest driver that God had ever made and decided that I would drive like a race car driver, I guess, in the old family minivan, which not a good decision. I remember one of the first times that I was out driving with my dad right after I got my license. I was driving, I think it was on South Boulevard actually. It was in the evening, it was raining, and I was driving the family van a bit too much like a race car driver. And I distinctly remember my father saying to me, you are driving too fast. You should slow down. And I distinctly remember saying, 
nah, I got this, about three and a half minutes before I hydroplaned into the car in front of me. Right? They stopped, I tried to, Van couldn't, hydroplane directly into the back. My dad, being the gracious man that he was, did not give me an I told you so in that moment, though he could have, because he had literally said to protect me, you're driving too quickly, you should slow down. And me being the young fool that I was, I got this, I'm fine. If I had listened to my father, I would not have had that accident. We don't like to listen to other people telling us how we ought to live. That's the short version of this. We don't like to listen to God telling us how to live, and we certainly don't like to listen to his people understanding the word of God telling us how to live. It's a hard thing. Right? It's very difficult. In our moment in time where we are our own bosses and our own gods, we don't like to listen I might lovingly say you want to have a more healthy church leadership, you want to have a more healthy relationship with church leadership, learn to listen to them perhaps a little bit more readily. Not that you don't do that excellently now already. Listen. Listen to wise counsel. I would say, secondly, listen to your leaders here more than you do listen to generic evangelicals, Instagram influencers, Twitter trolls, or any of the books that you would find in your local bookstore. This is the other thing that I think a lot of times we don't think about as a church is that you're constantly consuming. We live in one of the greatest consumption cultures of all time, constantly consuming information. And that information constantly has an agenda. You've heard me say this is one of the reasons why I hate Instagram. It's presented like it's just fun pictures. And in fact, it's one of the most sophisticated marketing devices in the history of humanity. We're consuming constantly And I would just lovingly say, you know, it'll go better for you if you learn to consume what's happening here in this room more, with more weight, with more carefulness, with more influence than you do all the other things. And again, why? Well, because of this giant thing printed behind me. The foundation of the ministry of this church is the Bible. That's where I started, right? Learn your Bible. And then lastly, I would say, don't be surprised when your leaders are going to hurt your feelings, by drawing lines and boundaries for what's good, right, and beautiful based on the word of God, and that those lines don't match up with yours. It's okay. Doesn't mean that they're wrong, doesn't mean that they're right, but don't be surprised, be ready to work through it. This is what the Lord has designed for leadership, and that's an important thing. Now, why does that matter? Now, very quickly, just covering the rest of the chapter in just about three minutes. Why does that matter? Well, verses 11 through 16, it matters because of what the Lord promises in relationship to his church. All of these bad things that have happened, all of these failures of leadership that were happening in Ezekiel 34 that happened today have happened to us in various times in our own church experiences. Guess what? The Lord will reverse that loss. We've just got done singing um, Joy to the World a number of times. As uh, far as the curse is found, it's reversed, it's, it's undone, it's made backwards. All of the brokenness of this uh, faulty leadership, interestingly, in verses 11 through 16, the Lord said, I will do this thing. You don't worry. Israel's leaders are not powerful enough to abuse his, their people so badly that the Lord won't undo it or can't undo it. And I love verse 13, I will bring them out from the peoples, I will gather them, I will feed them, I will feed them, there they will lie down with green, uh, good grazing land, I myself will be their shepherd, I'm going to do this thing, don't worry, I will take care of it. 
And then some are going to say, well, that's not fair. These leaders have failed in all these ways. God's designed for them to know, feed, lead, and protect the sheep. They've done a really poor job of it. So God's just going to fix it and nothing happens? Well, no, actually, verses 17 through 22, those leaders get judged. They're held to a higher standard, and they get judged. And I would say maybe this is one of those areas that we, we both simultaneously forget this and are completely preoccupied with this at the exact same moment. Right, that all leaders will be judged by God, they'll be held to a higher standard. We forget that God is the one who is in charge of justice, not us. And the result of it is, is we have this kind of cottage industry currently around discernment bloggers and Twitter trolls that are kind of constantly harping on teachers and, and, and trying to kind of constantly ruin their ministries connected to their failings. Yeah, warn the sheep and then move on. I mean, I've got about... Two dozen people, warn the sheep and just move on. Instead of being preoccupied with a man or a woman and be preoccupied with their failings and how they've failed and what they've done in the past, why don't we just be preoccupied with taking care of who's in front of us? And that's why when I do talk about a false teacher, I'm either going to use them kind of as an illustration. I've already done that once this sermon. Didn't tell you who it was. Two people in the room who know. I will use names but only when it's important to take care of the sheep in front of me. My task is to take care of you. I'm, I'm, I'm not in charge of being the Holy Spirit. I'm not in charge of being the grand judge of creation. My job is to take care of you. Let the Lord judge those who have failed. Only speak what's useful. Why does that matter? Well, the beautiful thing here, verses 23 through 31, the end of the chapter, is that the Lord will establish his church because he's going to establish the good shepherd. Right? Human leaders are always going to fail. It's almost like we need a leader that's both human and divine. Five centuries or so after this, six centuries or so after this, that's when we get him. Jesus, the good shepherd, we've read of him in John already. He shows up and is the perfect leader. That's why I want you to marvel at who Jesus is, rejoice in Christ, uh, admire his beauty, rejoice in all of what he does in his church. Now, yes, certainly it's not yet come to fullness, but even now, already it's happening. Already it's happening. And again, just proof of that is the fact that we get to elect leaders and we have godly men to choose from. It's proof already that God is caring for his church. And wonderful to see how one day it'll be completely different when sin is completely gone and I don't even have the ability to sin and neither do you. If we look forward to that day. You see, when we think about the church this way, when we think about ministry this way, one is, interestingly, it doesn't confine ministry to the leadership. It shares it with the entirety of the congregation. And it makes our task a task of love. How can we care for those beside us? Because we love them. Because they belong to us and we belong to them. The family of God. Father, we do ask that you would continue to teach us your ways. 
that we would be both faithful and kind in caring for our neighbor. Thank you for blessing this church with such wonderful leaders, deacons and elders, holy men. Thank you for blessing this church with such wonderful committee members, such wonderful servants all the way around. Would you continue to raise us up in this service? For Christ's sake, amen.